1116 SEN. This is the Flag Flyers for the American Australian Association, devoted to strengthening relations between the United States and Australia. Hello everyone and welcome to the Flag Flyers, a place where we profile and chat about all the Aussies. Find the flag for us in the US of A. I'm Christopher Tyler. Alongside me is Lockie Miller. Hello, my friend. That was probably one of the, the weirdest intros we've had for a while. Why? What's wrong with it? Oh, just the way that you accentuated my name there. Lockie Miller. No, but yeah, anyway. But uh, thank you for having me again, Chris. Uh, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> you're, that... you're not a guest. No, I am because you have to swipe <laughs> me in the door. I can't get in this otherwise. This is true. Yeah. This is very true. Big week of sport, man. As it always is, we're going to uh, be chatting about uh, the NBA very, very shortly. Matthew Delavadova. The day train. Phenomenal game six for the Cavs. Pretty much single handedly uh, beat. Um, Beat uh, who'd they play the Bulls single-handedly? I'm going to say, without them, they would have lost. Without him, I the thing I get the most out of uh, out of the recent uh, exploits of Matthew Dalvadova is just that um, post-game interview with uh, King James LeBron. Yeah, um, that's the sort of stuff where probably just I don't know two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, whatever. Matthew Dalvadova sitting at home going. Oh yeah, one day I'm gonna win it for the Cavs in Game Six or whatever. Mate, Matthew Dalvadova does not rest. Don't, don't against, have against this the picture of him just sitting back, relaxing, thinking of stuff. He works all the time. Oh. He's in the gym, twenty four seven. Yeah, all right. Or on the court. You didn't let me finish my. Sorry. Yeah, well, Go it on. wasn't building up to much. I was just gonna say that. Can you imagine in you know in all your wildest dreams that you're gonna get to a point where you win uh, a major playoff game for the Cavs, where LeBron's on your team against the Bulls? you know, of of your fourth quarter performance and LeBron basically just spills off how much you know, how tough you are and how brilliant and hard working you are. Like that's you retire now, Matthew Delvadova. It does not get any better than that, apart from maybe a championship ring. <laughs> I'd say that probably peaks it. But we have spoken about this on the show previously in that I'm pretty sure LeBron James is a big fan of Matthew Delvadova and it's kind of solidified by the fact that he's still in Cleveland. As in Matthew Delvadova, not uh, LeBron. Well, I mean, who knows with LeBron, he can make a you know an interview. If if, if LeBron did not like Delavadova, Delavadova would not be there right now. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, you know, Dally's uh, had uh, had had a couple setbacks this year when uh, I think he got injured and spent a month off, and then obviously you know um, playing as a backup on the bench. You know, you still have to prove yourself. But mm. I think Blatt and um, and LeBron and you know uh, Kyrie and all those guys, you know, that they, they they like what he brings to the table, and it's what. Um, Oh God! Why am I blanking on his St Mary's coach name? Um, Bennett. Bennett. Randy Bennett. You know, uh, said at the time of his drafting two years ago, um, and said again on the weekend, is that you know he's just the guy that will outwork anyone. Mm. You know, and you know he just brings that tenacious work ethic and um, competitiveness and and you know ability to uh, you know leg lock Joachim Noah. Uh, was it Noah? No, it was. Taj Gibson was oh, it? Oh, Taj Gibson, sorry. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, they're just, you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of Australian, you know, argy-bargy and, you know, just, I think it's brilliant. I just, and LeBron I reckons that comes from his uh, rugby background. Yeah. His, uh, as soon as I heard that, I just started smacking my head against the, uh, against you, the you wall. You can see it coming, though. Look, we'll touch on this game a little bit more um, coming up shortly on the show, but we also um, have a, a big show coming up. We're going to be chatting to Trav Blackley, who's uh, an Aussie pitcher uh, who just signed on with the Miami Marlins organization. He's been around... The uh, 
the major leagues and back has Travis been a part of a whole bunch of organizations start with the Mariners got went to the Giants has probably been, been to the Giants three times three, three separate t- occasions I think he, did he go to the Twins I think maybe at one stage Astros at one stage Marlins. he's kind of been all around he's played in Japan Korea as well played for the Melbourne Aces a few years back so and now he's at the a Marlins guy, now at the Marlins he's a guy who's truly had a long journey he, he's got some stories to tell so we're going to be chatting to him very very shortly about not specifically what's happening at the moment with the Mariners because at the moment it's a bit stagnant in um, the fact that he's not really getting a lot of starts uh, for their minor league organization but uh, we just want to pretty much tell Trav's story because I don't know how many people out there really know about Trav's story so we want to uh, give that to you out there and uh, and make sure that uh, you're well aware of what Trav's bringing uh, to to the table for all Aussies out there, he's flying the flag very well, my friend. And uh, as we, I think we we mentioned maybe in the interview that uh, you know he's he's not the first Aussie at the Marlins, especially not the first pitcher. Um, and that uh, Josh Spence, our friend, mm. uh, was there as well. So you know, it's always good to get a backstory on these guys because you know it's one thing to see their stats and all that, and, and you know see them play, but it's, I find it more interesting to find how they got there because in many ways it's a it's a very American sport, and uh, it's always intriguing to see uh, you know how they step through the ranks to get to where they are. And uh, with Trav, as you mentioned, uh, quite a uh, uh, a detailed backlog of of of, uh, of uh, playing. Um, across uh, various countries, continents, and mm. teams. And, uh, yeah, it's just interesting to get that insight. And another thing I wanted to discuss with you on the show today, we've kind of been in a bit of a movie mood in the last couple of weeks, and I, I did say movie. Um, <laughs> we've been in a bit of a movie mood yeah. uh, in the fact that uh, I saw Mad Max last night, so I want to be able to chat to you because you saw it last Friday. So we've both seen I the new you. Australian film Mad Max, and so what I want to do, uh, after we finish off with Trav, I just want to have a quick discussion on you about what you thought of Mad Max, and uh, I'll let you know my thoughts on the movie, and, and we'll just discuss it. And anyone out there can feel free to, to tweet us and Facebook us, and let us know what you thought of the film as well. You can hit us up on Twitter at The Flag Flyers, or on Facebook as well, facebook.com forward slash The Flag Flyers. Just quickly, Mad Max, it's probably got the highest Rotten Tomato score I've ever seen in my life. What was it? It was sitting at 99 when I went and saw it. and I think On that, IMDb, it's 8.9. And then at the moment, I think it's 98. Mm. So, like, I've never seen a movie that high before. Yeah. But uh, pretty impressive. So, we'll, we'll talk about that because it is uh, an Australian and uh, American co production. So, we will touch on that. But first, we were going to get Ben Yamkadane on from BelieveTheHypeNBA.com to chat about uh, the NBA finals. But he was unavailable. So, we decided to just we'll, we'll chat about it ourselves, mate. Me and you, right here, right now. Mano j- mano. J- just like every week, we'll wing it. We okay. will absolutely and hope wing that it. No one notices. And we did touch on Dalavadova a little bit before, but let's go into the specifics of uh, the game that he played. Thirty-four minutes for Delhi, nineteen points, only one assist. But you don't have to uh, assist too many when you're shooting seven from eleven, including three from six from the three-point line. He dominated in the last quarter. That was where he scored all his points. I think 11 of his points he scored in the last quarter. And it was a thing where he kind of came off firing. The the first four minutes, I think he had nine of those points. The first four minutes of that last quarter, when the game was still open to win, he really took control. Had a couple of steals as well. It was phenomenal. I um I was at the gym at the time, and I, I came home, and Dad had just started watching the uh, the fourth quarter. I think I came home, and there was eight minutes left. And I said, oh, how did Dally go? Because it was a... We, I knew the result. I knew how well he went. I said, "How many has he scored so far?" And Dad's like, "Let me just put it back to the start of the third quarter, uh, to the start of the fourth quarter for you." So Dad rewound it, and uh, those first three four minutes were just phenomenal. That's the reason why why Dad had to re- rewind it and uh, and show me because how they were Australian of you, Chris? Do not watch it live. 
Was it work? Ah, excuse me. Some people work here, Lockley. Yeah, Lockley. I was going to say Lachlan, but Jeez, then I've never mate. called you Lachlan in my life. You're worse than a Starbucks barista, mate. <laughs> Can't get my name right. But he did have a phenomenal game, and he's had a phenomenal series, and that obviously comes in the wake of, uh, or this specific game comes in the wake of Kyrie Irving suffering that injury. He should be fine with that, by the way, but uh, Kyrie Irving only managed 12 minutes, six points there. So Delvadova top scored for the Cavs. Didn't quite top score for the game. Jimmy Butler had uh, 20 points for the balls. But other than that, it was all Delhi. And now they're through to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. They do, and they'll play Atlanta, who <laughs> ripped the hearts out of every DC sports fan. It was a bad day for DC sports fans uh, that day, because not only did the Wizards win after having a commanding series lead over the Hawks, but also the Capitals lost to the Rangers, uh, yeah, the Rangers in OT after being 3-1 up in the series. Oh, is this the Stanley Cup? It, not not the Stanley Cup. It was the uh, semi-final. I think the um, the were they in the East or West? I don't even oh, Eastern I, Eastern Conference semi-final. I can tell you, I have not been following any of the uh, well, NHL. I I'm a San Francisco. I'm a San Jose fan, but. Because when I went to the States uh, last month, I actually saw a Capitals game live. I've kind of become somewhat of a Capitals fan as well. So I've been following the Caps, and they were 3-1 up, just like my uh, San Jose Sharks were 3-0 up against the LA Kings last year. Just like uh, San Jose, the uh, the Capitals relinquished their lead and ended up losing. So it was a bad day for DC sports fans, especially after Paul Pierce called series, I think, in Game 6. What, what, um, what day was this? Uh, might have been. It's on the weekend sometime. Was it Saturday. a sad day? I think it was. Was that also the death of Carlton Football Club? Uh, no, it was long before that. Yeah, yeah. The death was long before. I that. know it's not nothing in American sport, but given that you're a Carlton it fan, was, it was long before. And that, I've my got friend. you pigeonholed in here. Uh, how's Carlton going at the moment? So Golden State Warriors ended up uh, beating the Grizzlies one hundred eight to ninety five. They've taken this series four two as well. So uh, both teams with Aussie representation have won four two, quite commanding. And you'd probably expect both of these clubs to uh, go through to the NBA Finals. Of course, we mentioned the Cavaliers playing off against the Atlanta Hawks, who a lot of people still going into the playoffs with the best record in the NBA still didn't expect them to get this far, but they're here right now and. And uh, they've got as good of a shot as any, I guess. But the Cavs will still be favourites. And the Golden State will be favourites also against the uh, Houston Rockets, who, again, they kind of did what... um, (laughs) They kind of came from behind and and somehow managed to to snare the uh, series against the Clippers. Well... Then I suppose you know if uh, if all things go to plan, then we we're in a win-win situation, then aren't we? Absolutely. We're going to have another ring. Well, when I say we, Bogut or Dally, we, we, yeah, so we, we're going to have a ring. Um, and speaking of that, sorry, this is going to be astray. Uh, Saturday night, shout out to uh, Chappie and uh, Johnny from Pro Kick Australia. Great dinner at the Glen Ferry Hotel. All the Pro Kick boys were along, or a fair chunk of them. Cam Johnson, along with his uh, championship rings, they're massive, man. I've seen them. I, did, you, did you put it on? They're a bit I've, too big for me. I've worn them, mate. <laughs> have you? Yeah, I have. I, I held them in my hand, but I didn't quite put them on. My puny fingers just look like... You <laughs> yeah, know, that's why, you know, that's just, why I didn't want to put it on. And, I didn't want to embarrass myself. And, yeah, I look so unimpressive <laughs> with them. But anyway, um, uh, just going off the uh, the basketball then, you know, Dally's breakthrough, okay, in the wake of Paddy Mills' breakthrough in uh, in the final series last year. You got off the top of your head, got any of your breakthrough Aussie performances in recent years or should we save this for next week let's save it for next week put and, it on Twitter put it on Twitter we'll put it on Twitter at the Flag Flies and we'll put it on our Facebook as well facebook.com forward slash the Flag Flies Aussie breakout stars pretty much in any sport over there it could be in the NBA it specific could be, games though specific games absolutely it's got to be a game where they've kind of really uh, made a name for themselves I guess like Paddy Mills uh, in the NBA finals last year like Delvadova uh, now and we, we, who knows we could see it again in the next series 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm just trying to think of other sports. I mean, uh, you know, don't have any in NHL. Nathan Walker's with the Capitals organization, but he hasn't played any games for the. Uh, I think he's actually been league. dropped from the Hershey Bears. Yeah, it might he, have been. Yeah, so I th- no, he did his knee. I think. What about baseball? We got we got plenty to talk about in the baseball front. So if anyone has any baseball um, nominations, you can let us know. Any any uh, footballing ones or any punters that just you know whack out some uh, inside the ones <laughs> inside the ones back to back. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what other sports we can. Should we open it up? Should we open up to any sport, or should we stick to American? Stick to American. Oh, stick to American. I've been overruled. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be going. But just going back to the basketball because you kind of went off off topic there. It's going to be a phenomenal series. Uh, Bogey's going to uh, line up against the big, big Howard. He's uh, just a, a beast, and it's, they're going to be uh, they're going to be battling in the paint there between uh, Andrew Bogut and Dwight Howard. There. Bogut's got him. Bogut's so damn physical that he'll just piss. Oh, can I say piss? Yeah, I can say piss. Yeah, he's going to piss Howard off. You know, I mean, you know, they got through the... Hacker group- Howard? Huh? They're going to continue on with the Hacker Howard like they did in the, the Clippers series? On paper, by the way, the Clippers-Houston series was going to be a phenomenal series. It was tremendously boring. Tremendously boring. Oh, well, you know, I can't say I watched that much of it. It was it was just bad. Hopefully, I I don't really get too bored by the Warriors, the, so that, that's the, a good the thing about that, it. The thing that's in the Warriors' favour is that Howard has a short fuse. You just saw him the other day tee off at the fan in the in the um, I didn't see that in the uh, in the stands. You know all that sort of stuff. Howard, ha- I think Howard's soft. Like I think he uh, I think he can get triggered, and I think with Bogut, you know, sort of being that niggling sort of uh, you know um, ha- you know um, physical presence that uh, I reckon he'll throw him off his game just from a psychological standpoint, but. Yeah. Well, well, that brings us to the end of uh, this, this discussion. Oh, nice English, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to be getting to uh, Travis Blackley very shortly after the break. Then we're going to have our chat on Mad Max, what you thought of it, what I thought of it being uh, the Australian film uh, that we're claiming it to be. But just remember that uh, to join the conversation on uh, the games that uh, Australian stars really broke out in, you can uh, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the flag flies and the Twitter Twitterverse at the flag flies but uh, we'll be back after this with our chat with Australian baseball pitcher Travis Blackley chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A this is the flag flyers it's been a whirlwind of a year for Australian Travis Blackley who a couple of weeks ago signed a minor league deal with the Miami Marlins organization as our very own Xavier player predicted on this show it may still be a while before we see him in the big leagues again but Travis joins us on the line now Travis welcome to the flag flyers no worries thanks for having me not a problem, mate. Now, first of all, congratulations on signing with the Marlins organization. How did that all come about, and uh, have they actually said to you, if anything, about uh, their plans for you? Yeah, no, I, uh, obviously I was in camp with the Giants, and uh, although I had a really good camp, they had quite a quite a lot of players there, and you know, kind of pulled me in there uh, right at the end of camp and just let me know what it was like, you know, what the score was with it, not having uh, not having any room for me, and and as I said, I had a really good camp, so they uh, they told me that uh, if anyone inquired about me, they'd give me a good review. And you know, having a year in Japan last year kind of had teams not sure where I was at, so it was good to have them in my corner helping me out. And um, you know, a little quiet to start. You know, obviously all the teams had set their rosters and didn't have much room, you know, to uh, to sign anyone new in the first few weeks. And I just kept it up, uh, pitching against college teams in the Bay Area where I was uh, staying with my fiance, and um, yeah, kept the arm live. And uh, sure enough, finally a, a team came around calling and uh, and signed me up. So uh, 
you know, although they didn't have room for me at the time, they, they sent me here to extend between training and uh, just to stretch me out and get me ready to start. Uh, so I've, uh, I've only thrown two outings here so far and uh, have another one on Tuesday, so hopefully that'll be it. I can get up to AAA in New Orleans and, uh, and then make my push for a shot at the Miami. You've been part of a, a number of uh, major league organizations in the past, including the Mariners, where you started off the Athletics, Astros, Rangers. Plus, as you mentioned before, you've been a part of the Giants organization on three separate occasions. One, of course, being uh, in 2012, where you won a World Series ring. It's, it must be hard to ever get comfortable in this business, Trev. Yeah, well, especially for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've had kind of, a, kind of a crazy career compared to most guys. Uh, you know, it's not uh, abnormal for someone to see time with a with a few teams, but uh, this is my ninth organization, and uh, <laughs> you know, it kind of uh, it wears on you a little bit. You know, I had three different teams in 2012, so I uh, sorry 2013, and you know, moving, changing, having to meet all the new players, new coaches, having to re-impress a whole new team. It gets draining. Um, you know, nothing would please me more than to play well the rest of this year and, and get a chance to sign a, a you know a two or three year contract you know that would be that would be something where I could at least take a breath and and realize that I'm, I'm here for a while you know that would be great but you know the older you get the less of a chance that becomes and I think I'm gonna have to fight it out for that so. and I guess it would help if you can get used to the same catches for the the same two or three year span as well rather than changing between catches yeah well that would help. I mean, it's the same with catchers, though. I mean, they're in high demand. Unless they're a superstar catcher, they're probably on the, you know, a chance to go elsewhere as well. So, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. I've, I think the older I get, the the, uh, the easier it actually becomes uh, to handle the change. I've played with or against most of the players in the league. So, you know, you go to a new team, you might not know them personally, but they, you know, they know who you are and they've seen you play before. So, at least it's uh, that's a little easier than, than coming in as a or as a total random where they don't know what you got. Now you're the uh, the second uh, Aussie Mariners pitcher that we've actually had in this show. We've actually had Josh Spence uh, just a matter of a month ago. Uh, he's someone that went through uh, fairly well known through the U.S. college system with Arizona State. You signed uh, back as a 17 year old to the Mariners. Was this was the college route ever a thought for you, or was it just uh, get to the pros and and uh, and and start grinding? No, I mean, for me personally, I, I never really excelled until my very last year of under 18s. I never made a state team or an Australian team, and uh, making the state team, having a good uh, a good uh, championship out there in Perth, and then obviously making the Australian team, that kind of put me on the radar. And going away with the Australian team, I again pitched really well. And uh, at the end of that tournament, there were a few scouts, you know, kind of showing interest, but. No offers, and, uh, and and but there was a few colleges. So I, I had one in, uh, I think it was called Winthrop. And it's a long time ago now. I'm trying to remember. And another one in uh, Louisiana. Um, that were and I actually was going to go to the one in Louisiana, and um, yeah, it just kind of happened that uh, I, I think I verbally agreed. And two days later, the Mariners came with an offer that included school. So that was kind of like. A fallback, you know. My mother, being a teacher, she uh, she wanted me to go the, the college route, but in the end, a kind of a good a, good a decision for me anyway. You know, uh, if I had gone to college, I probably would have been 22, 21, 22 by the time I got to go to pro ball if I even got drafted. And 
by that stage at 21, I was with the Mariners in the big league. So it was kind of a, a good deal for me. But, uh, you know, but it doesn't always work out that well for everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the main reason I ask is that the mentally and physically taxing toll on you know being in that minor league system. I think I'm not necessarily a baseball person, as you'll find out just by the way that I structure these questions. But I think they refer to it as the grind in the in the minor leagues, playing day in day out, traveling, you know, and just it's just brutal the the workload that you have to undergo. How did that go from someone that, okay, wasn't getting recognised or, or wasn't making it necessarily big into his final year of under-18s here in Australia to being thrown into, you know, a really intense sort of uh, development system in the US as, a, as an 18-year-old? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, I think it was, uh, I didn't really think about it like that, you know. It was just a dream come true to be able to do what I love every day, you know, and, and the grind kind of did wear on you a little bit when I had to do extended spring training in Arizona, and I mean it's it's really hot. It, it's you know 110 degrees every day. You're out there in the morning. There's nobody watching your games, and uh, I was fortunate enough to pitch really well in extended spring training. And uh, you know even at 18 years old, I was able to beat out a kid that just got signed who didn't have a great extended spring. They were probably looking at to go to the short season team, and I ended up, yeah, beating him out for that job, and then going to that that season where you got to play night games in front of fans up in the northwest, and had a really good season, which kind of like set my career in motion. You know, a lot most guys go to extended for a year, maybe two, at, at eighteen or nineteen years of age, and I was just fortunate enough to get that chance and take take care of it and, and get it going. And so once you're in a season. It, it, where you're playing in front of fans at night games, it, it becomes a lot more exciting, a lot more, you know, you, you kind of lose track of where you are in the year, you know. I mean, was, the only time I knew it was a weekend was because it was Sunday we had a day game. Every other time it was a night game, I wouldn't know. It could be Monday, I wouldn't even know. So, uh, yeah, just kind of, uh, you, you kind of, before you knew it, the season was over. Now, when I went to a full-season team where it's 142 games, that can get a little dragged, you know, towards August. Um, they call them the dog days of summer. But um, I think, you know, the higher up you get, the better the competition, the, the closer the games, the quicker the games. It kind of, uh, it kind of becomes a, a good, a good time, you know. And, and the major league season, that's even longer. That's 162 games, and but I mean, you can never complain about being up there. It's, it's a whole other kettle of fish, and it's hard to describe to someone. You know, that hasn't been there or seen what the minor league side is like either. It's just, it's just such a jump up above anything else. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's why I'm still playing the game and still trying to get back to it because it, it's just that much, uh, that much fun. Now, one of the perks, Trav, of being a, a professional athlete is, uh, I guess, the way that you're able to uh, to travel quite a bit, especially in your case, not only uh, travel around the States as well, but you've, you've traveled to Japan as well to play baseball. Is this something that you enjoy doing, being able to, to see the world, or is it strictly just more of a, a baseball thing for you and you just kind of want to focus on that strictly rather than uh, having a look around and, in, and enjoying your uh, your environment, I guess? Well, I mean, it would be nice to get the time to go look around. I mean, in Japan last year, I think we had three days during the All-Star break. I got to I got to go check out some of the country, country, but most of it was at a ballpark or in a hotel room. Um, you know, the... Two, three years before that, I played in Korea, and uh, that was I had a little more time to go do stuff. We had a lot more rain out days, and they would call the game off at ten in the morning. So, and even if it was sunny in the afternoon, it was kind of weird. But they, uh, 
they had three weeks at the end of the regular season to make up all those rainouts. So it was kind of a kind of a cool deal. Or you know, every now and again, I got a day off. I got to go walk through Seoul or, uh, or or Busan or somewhere like that and check it all out. But I mean, I feel like once you go to one country over in Asia, you go into them all. You know, they're kind of very similar. Um, it's uh, I can't say I enjoyed Japan too much. My my game. Uh, I didn't really get used a whole lot, so it was a kind of a frustrating season for me. And I think I'm, uh, that makes it uh, so much better being back in America. I definitely appreciate, you know, what I got going on over here. And again, so um, I think it's a great game to play, and I've been pitching pretty well since being the Marlins. So yeah. What kind of mindset do you have to have as a professional athlete to go overseas to struggle getting game time? How hard is that to actually mentally get yourself up day after day and try to keep yourself in peak physical fitness? Uh, part of it is, is tough. You know, obviously, the why am I not playing, the, the what can I do to play. And then once the season got to the point where our team wasn't looking like making the playoffs and they definitely didn't look like they were going to use me, I just basically set my sights on this season. And even though I didn't know where I was going to be, I thought, what, what better time than to start my off-season early, knowing I was going to go back to Australia and, and enjoy myself there and have time to you know hang out with friends, see family, and stuff like that. It was going to take away from my time to be ready for the season. So I thought I'd put in hard. You know, I think it was about start of August, and I didn't leave Japan until October. So those couple of months, I just I hit the gym as hard as I could, and and you know, basically forgot about what I was going to be doing on the mound. It kind of fell into place for me anyway. I still pitched well. I just didn't uh, I didn't think like I normally would about trying to save my arm or anything like that. I just looked into getting in my off-season form. And, um, yeah, it kind of worked out for me. I came into camp really good this year. and uh, You know, but the, the mental side of it, it, it can eat you alive or you can, you know, fight back. And I think that, some guys have it, and you know, I think having 15 years behind me or 14 years of experience before going away, it, you know, going through the ups and downs, I kind of knew how to combat it. And uh, you know, it can just—it's it, hard to describe. I mean, I'm sure other sports have the same thing, but it's uh, having such a long season and being overlooked over and over again. It can be—it uh, can be hard to handle. But you know, I knew on the inside I had what it takes, and, and from the past, and you know past experiences in the major leagues. I knew I was good enough to be there, but, you know, they're very particular and, and first impressions count in Japan a lot more than they do over here. You don't get so many chances to redeem yourself. But I uh, just kind of, yeah, as I said, look forward to this year and it really set my mind right and uh, I feel as driven as I've ever been. Uh, I'm curious from the standpoint of, you know, all the Aussies that we see in the, in the major league system, um, whether it be at the majors, at the minors, or, or just even in college, for example, you mainly see that it's Aussie pitching talent in the uh, in the system. Why is there such a skewed number, um, you know, for for the pitching sort of position as opposed to you know infielders or, or batters? Is it a physiological predisposition or is it just a, a development system here? Why are we so much more talented as at, from a pitching standpoint than everything else? That's a great question, uh, um, and and probably a hard one to answer. I'll take a stab at it. Um, I think that. At a young age, we, you know, a lot of juniors come up and play seniors and they have to learn to pitch against the men at a younger age. So they probably advance a bit quicker with the, with the pitching. And so that'll allow them to get signed where they can then follow it up. Now, those guys that sign, 
they come back to Australia and their teams in America normally shut them down, but they're not really allowed to pitch in Australia. They might be allowed to for a little bit, but not like for a, a whole season. So those hitters now don't get a chance to face those quality pitchers to take the next step for them. So it's kind of a, a it's kind of hard for those hitters to start. You know, they're they're facing you know club ball, maybe some Australian ABL level talent, which pretty good but it's not what you're seeing in America on you know day in day out so their off season kind of gets lost to uh to not getting any better um I think uh, a few of the Australians that have gone on and taken it further and made it through double a and triple a and even to the big league have taken an off season or two to go to maybe Mexico Venezuela Dominican Republic and face the the quality kitchen that they have over there for an entire off-season, and it really gets them locked in for the next season. So it's kind of a hard thing. You know, you want to come back to Australia and play in the ABL, and it is getting better in the ABL. I mean, you could definitely, as a hitter, go back there and get some uh, get some, get some tough innings, uh, tough at-bats against some good pitching. But on the whole, you know, you might, in, in a series in the ABL, you might only get three at-bats against, against a pitcher that will really get you ready, and then, a couple more against uh, against some guys that will make you feel good about yourself. So <laughs> yeah, I think that that might be the reason that I uh, that, that you know we kind of the pitchers are taking off. But uh, I mean, the the over here in America, the kids uh, they start playing a bit younger. They play a lot more games at a young age. They have a uh, high school and a college system that lets them get x amount of that bats more than we get in Australia. So. You know, they just develop way quicker, and uh, and obviously coaching is a bit too. We got some great coaches in Australia, but you know they only have been to a certain point in their careers too, to where that they can help. You know, with the little things that you need to know as a hitter. It's a little out of my depth. I'm not a hitter, but <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I think that that might be a little bit to do with it. We're talking to Australian pitcher Trav Blackley. Trav, does that help um, as a pitcher being a left-handed? You're you're, you're a left-handed uh, pitcher yourself. Does that seem to help? Because we see in the majors that uh, left-handed pitchers seem to dominate, I guess, uh, right-handed pitchers a lot of the time. Did that help you through your progression from, um, you know, single A to, to the, the major leagues being a left-handed pitcher? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, it's definitely a plus. There's a, you know, I'd say when I first started playing, uh, there might have been five left-handed pitchers in my group out of, say, 25 to 30 pitchers. So, you know, you're obviously a bit more of a commodity. But as as I've, you know, gotten older, like this year in spring training, we had like 28 pitchers in our group, and I want to say we had about 16 left-handed pitchers. Like it's definitely evening out. But uh, as being, you know, there's, there's still a lot more right-handed hitters in the game. And uh, I think that when the lefties that do get up there, they generally are power-hitting, you know, guys that, you know, you got to watch out for, and I think that left-handers just seem to be able to come in and make it a lot tougher for a for a left-handed hitter. And I don't know, we control the running game a little better because we're facing the guy. Um, left-handers seem to have this uh, unexplainable movement. You know, a lot of there's very rare that you find a left-handed pitcher that just throws straight fastballs. You know, they generally have some movement, whereas a lot of right-handers seem to throw straight. Now, I don't know how to explain that, but. I don't know. It seems to be if you can throw strikes and you're left-handed and you, and you have a, a a good you know repertoire in your, in, in, to to work with, you're gonna you're gonna be able to continue to at least score opportunities to to make it to the big leagues, which 
you know, it's kind of happened for me. You know, I've made it up there, but I haven't become a mainstay yet. And I think the opportunity, people still see, you know, the stuff is there, and, and they keep saying, well, if, if it gets figured out, it could be really helpful. And uh, so I think that that's why the left-handed pitchers are sort of more sought after than right-handers. But, I mean, if you're right-handed and you throw 100, you're going to get a chance. You're going to get a chance. Absolutely. So I think it's... Uh, yeah, there's not too many lefties that throw 100 out here. So. Um, uh, I, uh, I saw the other day um, someone that's in your organisation, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, absolutely crush one out of the park at Dodger Stadium. And I've been there and I've stand, uh, stood on the on the ground level and seen how far it is um, all the way up the back there. When are you going to get to have a crack at, at Stanton and uh, and show your wares? Are you going? Is you know is that something that excites you? The fact that you know you're in that organisation and you know potentially you get to throw a few pitches his way. Well, I've already pitched against old Stanton, mate. He uh, he hit about a two thousand mile an hour line drive at the first base. <laughs> <laughs> old uh, old Kung Fu Panda couldn't handle it. <laughs> 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 But, uh, no, nah, he smoked it. But, um, yeah, that's the only time I've had a chance to face him. I hung a change-up, and he ripped the ball pretty hard at the baseman. But, uh, no, I mean, uh, he, he's just a beast. That guy is huge. Um, I don't know his exact height and weight, but uh, he if you stood him out there on a football field, he'd make pretty much everyone in the AFL look pretty small. <laughs> I mean, a, a guy like that swinging, a, he swings a big bat, too, so... The bigger and the heavier the bat they swing, the more likely that ball's going to go further. And uh, yeah, when he connects, man, it doesn't—it stays hit. There's no doubt about it. There's only probably two or three guys in the, in the entire league that hit a ball as hard as he does. And uh, you know, he's just a great athlete on top of that. For being his size, I mean, he was a football player too, so he—he he definitely. Uh, he can definitely run down the ball in the outfield as a cannon of an arm. I mean, that's why they gave him $300 million. <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a pretty amazing athlete. But it, I'm actually glad that it, yeah, when I get out there, I'll be on his side, not against him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jesus. Are you a fan of uh, baseball movies, Trev? Oh, you know, I've pretty much seen most of them out there. I, I imagine I've seen them all. I, I like them. You know, it's, uh, it's rare to find a baseball movie I didn't like. Is there one specifically that you think really accurately depicts the life of, I guess, either a minor league player or or, or the life of a baseball player in general? Is there one that really stands out as being, yep, yeah, that's that's spot on the money. I think they all kind of hit the hit it on the hit it on the nose there. I mean, you obviously got Bull Durham, and that shows a, a, back in the day what it was like in the minor leagues. And I mean, it hasn't changed a whole lot except for the pay is a little better now. It's still pretty bad, but it's. It's a lot better than it was back then. But I think the one, as a pitcher, the one that kind of captures uh, my attention would be, uh, I think it's called The Perfect Game, Kevin Costner. Of course it's Kevin Costner. He's in about every second baseball film. Yeah. I I actually played in a game in high A where he came and pitched for our team. Really? Yeah, the San Bernardino Stampede back in 02 came and pitched pitched the game for us. Did five innings really well, actually. He can play, but um, uh, you know that, that that movie kind of captures what I think what you got to do as a pitcher. You know, kind of blocking out all of the, you know, I mean, standing on the mound when you got thirty, forty thousand people looking at you, and they're all looking at you until you let go of the ball. You know, the game can't go on until you've let go of the ball. So, 
you know, that can be daunting at times, you know. Uh, it's all, I can imagine, you know, being on the, the MCG, standing in front of everyone on the cricket team or if you're on a, on a football team, but they're not all looking at you, not until you've got the ball in your hand. Mm. And uh, I think when you're moving, you know, in a football game and you've got the ball, you're not thinking about that. You're, you, you know, you're kind of in the, in the heat of the moment. But those, uh, those 10, 20 seconds before you act when you're looking for the sign and come and set and the crowd's roaring, that, that, that's all the pressure on you and you've got to got to kind of take it down a notch. And I think when, when that movie shows him, you know, kind of, I think he says clear the mechanism to himself, which, you know, blows everything out so he sees nothing but the catcher. That's what we try and do. Obviously, we don't blur it out, but we just try and keep that focal point to the glove only, and it really, you know, helps you keep locked in. And I think that, that really captured it. And, uh, you know, obviously being an older player myself, I'm starting to see a lot of that movie coming out, you know, what you got to do to kind of keep in shape and, and hang with the younger blokes. Last question from me, Trav, before we let you go. After all you've been through um, in, in your career at both the major leagues and the minor league levels, can you still be a fan of the game? Are you still a fan? Do you still love the game as much as you did when you first started? I do. You know, in Japan, I actually would, I had the MLB network kind of going on on my computer so I could keep up with it, you know, and, and see a lot of my mates playing. And I'm still a fan of the game. You know, I, I don't ever really, um, I would say that I don't watch as much baseball on TV. I think when you, you play that many games, you, you kind of, you're baseballed out by the time you get back to the hotel. Yeah, but, don't blame you. You know, I, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't still love it. You know, if I did, I, I don't know what else I'd do if I wasn't doing this, but. I definitely know nothing kind of compares to, to being a part of a team and being on the mound and, and what I just said, you know, being in front of all those people and, and feeling the rush of, of of adrenaline when you're, especially like getting out of a big jam, you know, striking out a guy and hearing that crowd roar. There's nothing that compares to it. And I feel like that's what you chase the whole time. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to keep up, probably staying in the game when I'm done playing in some way or form. I don't know how yet, but... Uh, you know, just uh, it's like a drug, I guess. It just makes you want to keep coming back to more. Absolutely. Travis, thank you so much for joining us on the Flag Flies today, mate. We wish you all the best of luck uh, while you're in the uh, Marlins organization. Hopefully you can uh, you can have a good couple of months and uh, hopefully we might uh, be able to see you in the majors at some stage soon. Yeah, mate. Thanks for having us. I uh, appreciate it. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flyers. Welcome back to the Flag Flies with Chris Tyler and Lockie Miller. Now, Lockie, I uh, I went to the cinemas yesterday. I've been wanting to see this film for quite a while, but I actually uh, made it down to the cinemas yesterday in good old Greensboro and finally saw Mad Max. I say finally. It's only really been out since Thursday, so it only took me a couple of days. But I have been wanting to see it for a while, and I especially wanted to see it after Lee Patch came into the run home last week on uh, on 1116 SEN and said that it was a phenomenal film. He gave it a 5 out of 5, and I think that was his second best rating ever for a film. So I think only two films got a 5 out of 5, and Mad Max was one of them. So that kind of reaffirmed my uh, my want to go and see it, and I saw it last night. You saw it on Friday as well, didn't you? Friday, last Friday, Friday, Friday. Two things, first yes. of all, Chris. I first of all, I've never heard someone below the age of sixty refer to it as the cinemas. Um, That's what it's called. Movies. Um, when when you're a, when you're a film fanatic like me, you uh, go to the I, cinemas, I not the movies. Heard my number two yet? Okay, go. And my number two is that Mad Max 
or anything that comes out in uh, mass production is not necessarily a film. It's more of a movie. A film is more art house to me. So I'm not a film buff. I like movies. You're splitting hairs, mate. Uh, well, I'm just. I think it's. Uh, it's. Uh, you know, the audience deserves better than your elitist talk. <laughs> um, and but yeah, I did. I saw the movie Mad Max on Friday night at the movies. Um, <laughs> And uh, I got dragged along by my brother um, because uh, he's been... Uh, you say it as if you didn't want to go and see it. I didn't. Um, I, it's just... <laughs> have you, first of all, have you seen any of the, uh, the first few? I, <laughs> I sound so un-Australian here. I saw like the first 20 minutes of the first one. I'm like, nah, I'm not watching this. Really? Yeah, well... How long ago did you see it? Was it when it you were... It sounds so pathetic. kid? Sorry? Was no, it when you were a kid? Or? No, a couple of years ago. Really? <laughs> it sounds so pathetic, but it was just like, you know, I don't like these post well, I can't even say the word. Post-apocalyptic? It's like Dan Pasquarello all over again. <laughs> um, yeah, post-apop... Oh, f- my God. Post-apocalyptic. I've got, I got it for you. Can you Post-apop... Uh, yep. No. no just, don't even worry about it. I've got it for you. Just okay. continue on. We know what we're talking about. Oh, God. Um, that sort of thing. I was just like, nah, it doesn't interest me. I don't want to look. It's kind of like Game of Thrones. It's like medieval stuff. Yeah, I'm nah. the same. Uh, I don't want to have a look. And so the only... I bargained. I said to my brother, he's, he's probably even more so reluctant to go see a movie that I'm very keen to see, which is Entourage, the movie. Um, which I want to see as well. Two completely different ends of the spectrum in reality, and he just was staunch in that he doesn't want to see it. So we made a deal that I'll go see Mad Max Fury Road if he comes to see Entourage. I think I definitely got the best end of the bargain there. Because <laughs> I, I love Entourage, but man, those trailers look horrible. Anyway. But my- you did enjoy it. Mad- oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I um, uh, You know, it was... It, how it, and it is technically an Australian film, even though most of the cast is not Australian. It's well, more of a co-production between Australia and There's John the Howard in there, the non-Prime Minister version. <laughs> the non-Prime Minister there's version. There's Angus Sampson. Angus Sampson, yes, absolutely. And Megan Gale was in it as well. Yeah, Megan Gale. Um, I don't know why I love when I do that. Sorry, Sean Hampson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what else? Uh, there's probably a couple. There's a whole bunch of cameos from... Well, George Miller's Australian. Yeah, from the, the smaller... Um, actors, I guess, of these smaller Australian actors. But it's it, it's pretty amazing that one a studio ticked that off in terms of it was 140 million dollars to go out. It's been in the works for a long time since 2003, I think. Oh, but apparently he's had this idea for over 20 yeah. years or something. Yeah. Um, but like, can you imagine a, 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 a I don't know what you call them a movie? Uh, what are they called? Executive. Well, you know, yeah, they, the what what's the like Warner Brothers or what are they called? Production companies, yeah, whatever. They greenlit one hundred forty million dollars for George Miller to take, you know, all these per, um, purpose-built cars out into the Namibian desert, yeah, and just rip stuff up for for you know months on end, and then just get some a little bit of CGI to tie it all together. And it's just, it's just, it's full throttle. It is. Excuse the pun. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, we need sound effects. Um, yeah, I, from go to woe, um, and uh, it is a full-on film. Yeah, I remember. Uh, you were uh, you were commenting. Uh, you were a bit blown away by the the explosiveness of it, just nonstop. It felt like you'd been punched in the face once once you left it, in in a good way. I don't know how it's in a good way, but I, well, I've certainly enjoyed the film. But I was buggered when ha, I left the cinema. How do you know that? Have you Sorry, been, the movies. Have, thank you. Have you? How, how do you know that it feels like being punched in the face? Have you been punched in the face? Uh, no, but uh, it's well, kind of now a, a metaphorical. Type well, now punch in the more, face. a good enough opportunity, Chris. Oh, if thanks. you just want to just pull your head out from behind the microphone, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna decline. I've got uh, a your knuckle invite, sandwich thanks. ready for you to eat. Who are you? Um, no, some lame <laughs> punk. But seriously, I, I yep. thought the film was very, very enjoyable, and I had very high expectations going into it as well. Normally, when you go into films with high expectations, you kind of expect it to be, well, you know, 
you're waiting on it to to kind of disappoint, but this certainly didn't disappoint. The only thing that did disappoint me, actually, was the person in front of me who was on Snapchat, Snapchat, the entire movie. I don't know why people would spend $11, $11 on Sunday. $11? $11 to go to the movies only to sit on Snapchat. I paid 22 yeah, I, I didn't realize. That's what I was expecting, but uh, on Sundays it's 11, so that's oh. pretty good. Well done, Hoyts. But why would you pay $11 for that? That's just stupid. This isn't Caro's Arrow, mate. You can't oh, go off and tell. I wanted, I wanted, I don't know what I wanted to do with, with, with her because that's, I, I that's, that's when you get the top. Violence, that's but, when you get the chock top. You rip the top off oh. and you just slowly push it down on top of their skull. Oh, man. And then you eat the rest of the that chock top, which has already got ice cream in the cone and. All that, so it's all good. Let us know. If anyone uh, out there sees Mad Max or, or wants to see it, let us know. Hit us up on uh, our Twitter and Facebook. And the reason why we are mentioning this is because it is an Australian film. It is. Well, in the, the original was Australian, yeah. and this is kind of, kind of a co-production between Australia Actually, and the uh, You know, one thing, one thing I would have loved to see is just some token Mel Gibson appearance. Uh, they were thinking about doing that, but were I don't they? think in the end, yeah, absolutely. Even just for like a that, split had, second. Yep, it had been rumoured that he was going to do a cameo, but uh, not he, in the end. He asked for too much money, probably. Yeah, but uh, I, th- I thought it was a phenomenal film anyway. Some of the accents were a l- little bit off, but I didn't really mind it. Yeah, I'm not really a stickler for that sort of stuff. Actually, before we finish off, there's one thing I wanted to ask you on your thoughts on this movie because I uh, I have strong opinions on, on what I think of this. What did you think of the gimp playing uh, the guitar on that car full of amps? <laughs> oh, man. I, I just Because the people behind me kept laughing at it, my, my, and I wanted my to shut th- them up. My brother thought it was the best part of the whole movie. I think it's phenomenal. <laughs> I think it was perfect. Uh, it was. It was kind of funny. It was just like it, it was a little bit out of place, but it was funny. The yeah. antagonist of the film. The whole message is that he kind of owns people, and their their whole uh, you know uh, tagline is that people what people aren't things. Was that what it, what it was? Something along the lines of people aren't things, but he controls these people in such a way that he even makes people play him music. They don't even have any type of music. They don't have CD players or or anything like that to carry with them. So he's legitimately made someone a music player. You're, That's how much he owns the people around him. You're looking far too much into No, this, I'm mate. not. That's exactly what it was te- intended for. Oh, God. The fact that he can control these people to the extent that he has someone to play music whenever they're Chris, on the road. Chris, it's 3.59. That's phenomenal. It's 3.59. I think it's time to go to bed, mate. <laughs> That's true. Hey, thank you very much for uh, being with us, Lucky. I appreciate that. You're always with us because it's, it's mine and your show, so uh, I expect you to be. Although... You only got a couple of weeks left before you go to the states for a couple of weeks. So next week is is next week uh, your last show before you leave us for a couple of weeks. Yeah, next week's the John Farnham farewell tour for one for one for one week only. Then before I'll... you come back like a month later. Yeah, probably all probably a couple of weeks later. That's all right. Everyone out there, you can hit us up on our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the flag flies, and our Twitter account at the flag flies. You can find us uh, on iTunes. Uh, as well as on the uh, SEM website, SEN.com.au. Until then, have a good week, guys. Whether you've overdone it at the gym, at the dinner table, or on the couch, AHM Health Insurance have a cover for you. Join direct at ahm.com.au.